And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order, you know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, it's an exciting adventure with Frank Merriwell starring Lawson Zerby from 1948. Then, Jack Benny and all his gang are broadcasting from New York City on part one of the Jack Benny program from 1950. With me to help present these radio classics is my executive producer, Mike Costello. What's up, Mike? Hey, Carl. Well, we have two fun shows. We're going to tune in right now to The Adventures of Frank Merriwell. This was an adventure series. It was created by Gilbert Patton under the pseudonym Bert L. Standish and was first seen in dime novels in 1896. It went way, way, way back. Then it became a comic book, and then it was so popular it made the transition to radio in 1934. It was a very early radio series, and then it was in films by 1936. Merriwell was a Yale College athlete who, in his spare time, solved mysteries and righted wrongs. Donald Briggs originated the role on radio, but eventually Lawson Zerby made the role his own. The radio series lasted until 1949 and did not make a transition to television. Well, we have a radio broadcast for you now from May 22, 1948, called The Mystery of the Iron Door. This stars Lawson Zerby in The Adventures of Frank Merriwell. What happened? I don't know. I didn't slam the door. Maybe it was the wind. Better open it again. It's pitch black down here. It's locked. Locked? That's impossible. Let me try. Oh, no. Pardon, what's that? Where are you? I can't see a thing. NBC presents The Adventures of Frank Merriwell. An exciting past, a romantic past, the era of the horse and carriage, gaslit streets, and free-for-all football games, the era of one of the most beloved figures in American fiction, Frank Merriwell. Merriwell is loved as much today as ever he was, and so the National Broadcasting Company brings him to radio in a new series of stories based on the famous books written by Gilbert Patton under the pen name Bert L. Standish. Today, The Mystery of the Iron Door. It's late Friday afternoon as our story opens. Afternoon classes at Yale have just ended, and Frank and Bart, accompanied by Inza Burridge, are entering the crowded post office building in downtown New Haven. I won't be long, Frank. I promised Aunt Belle I'd get this package in the mails before the weekend. Well, that's all right, Inza. Bart and I are in no hurry. No. Coach canceled baseball practice this afternoon. Hello, Frank. Bart, I thought I recognized your voices. Hi, George. I didn't know that was you ahead of us in line. Well, I came down here to pick up a registered letter. Say, I don't believe I know the young lady. Oh, 
Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Burridge, Mr. Davis. How do you do? I'm glad to know you, Miss Burridge. You aren't in Frank and Bart's class, are you, Mr. Davis? Well, not George, is it? He's a postgraduate. Yes, I'm taking special graduate courses at the university. And confidentially, he's one of the most brilliant men at Yale. Oh? <laughs> Ignore that, Miss Burridge. I'm little more than a drudge. Well, how are those secret experiments of yours coming along, George? Oh, what secret experiments, Frank? Secret experiments? My, that sounds exciting. <laughs> not very, Miss Burridge. Uh, but say, Frank, what's this that I hear about your geology class going... Uh, up to Echo Cavern tomorrow. Well, not the whole class, George. Just 14 of us who are interested in mineralogy. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about that, Frank. Where is Echo Cavern? Well, it's a big limestone cave about 25 miles north of here. Mm-hmm. They've been promising us this field trip for a long time now, but this is the first weekend we haven't had a ball game scheduled. Well, the reason I ask is that I'm going to be up there myself tomorrow. Oh, more of your experiments, George? Well, I've been up several times the past few weeks. I'm hoping this will be my last trip. Uh, where are you staying? At the Chote Farm? The man who owns the cavern? No, at that little inn right next to the farm. Oh, sure. That's Henderson's place. Well, that reminds me, Frank. We're supposed to be over at the New Haven house to complete arrangements with Mr. Henderson. Oh, I know. We'll do it as soon as we mail in his package. Oh, you needn't wait for me, Frank. Go right ahead. Oh, it's all right. We have plenty of time and we're almost at the window. All right. Who's next? He means you, George. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm George Davis, and I received this notice of a registered letter. Oh, didn't the postman deliver it? Well, I must have been out when he came, but it's very important. Well, now, let's see. It's it's very valuable. Nope, the postman isn't back to it yet. Not back? Nope. Now, look here. A few people have no, lost no, it. Sonny, hold your horses. Nothing's been lost. The carrier hasn't come back with it yet. That's well, all. when will he be back? Any minute now. You'll just have to wait. Next. Are you through, George? Yes, yes, go ahead. I hope that blasted postman comes back with my letter. Oh, it's tough luck. But don't worry, you'll get it. Now, Enzo, let's have that package. I'm glad we caught you before you left town, Mr. Henderson. We wanted to complete arrangements for our field trip tomorrow. Well, your geology professors already talked to me, boys. You'll want dinner for 14 out there tomorrow, is that right? Yes, sir, but there's one thing more. No? Uh, Bart and I are preparing a special paper on cave formations, and we were given permission to stay over until Sunday. Uh-huh. We were wondering if you could put us up at the end. Well, no, I don't know. I, I don't really open until summer. But we thought you might make an exception this time, Mr. Henderson. We won't be much trouble. I haven't any help out there yet. Just my caretaker. Oh, well, I suppose it can be arranged. It's just a one night to stay, huh? Yes, yeah, very well. I'll put you two boys up. Now, what time's your party arriving? Well, we'll get there on the 10 o'clock train tomorrow morning, and the whole group except Bart and I will return on the evening train. And I'll have Parsons meet you at the station in the coach. Take you right out to the cavern. Yes, and thank you very much. We'll see you tomorrow at Echo Cavern. Oh, Frank, Frank, over here. Oh, here's Inza. She must have waited for us. Oh, we could have walked back to the campus, Inza. Why should you when I had a carriage right here? Hop in. Hey. Well, we completed our arrangements with Mr. Henderson. That's good. Get out, Major. Get out. Frank, guess who walked by just as you went to the hotel? Who? That boy we met in the post office, George Davis. Oh, George? What did he have to say? That's just it. He didn't say anything. He walked by without even seeing me. I spoke to him, but he was so busy reading a letter, he didn't hear me. Well, that must be the letter he was waiting for. I suppose so. Maybe it has something to do with those secret experiments of his. Are they really so secret, or are you two just teasing me? Oh, they're secret, all right, Inza. There are all kinds of rumors about them, but no one knows just what he's working on. I wonder why he goes up to Echo Cavern so often. Well, as a guess, I'd say his experiment have something to do with bauxite. There are large deposits of it all around there. Oh. Bauxite? Isn't that some kind of mineral thing? That's right. It's Wait. Just... Inza, stop the carriage. What's the matter, Bart? Whoa, boy. Whoa. Look there. Coming out of that alley, it's George. Good night. He's hurt. George! What in the world happened? I... I'm all right, Frank. 
I'm a little dizzy. Here, get in the carriage. You look like you've been in a fight. I have. Well, what happened, George? Here, Bart, help him up into the back seat. Right. right. Easy now, George. Now, do you want us to take you to the infirmary? No, no. I'll, I'll be all right in a minute. Keep right on the way you were going. Well, all right. Go ahead, Enzi. Get out, Major. What on earth was it, Mr. Davis? I, I was attacked by a man, a footpad. Were you robbed? Well, he took my wallet. Didn't bother with my gold watch and chain. Was there much in the wallet? Only a dollar or two. But my registered letter was in there, too. That's the thing that I didn't want to lose. In the post office, you said that letter was valuable. Was there money in it? No, Bart, it, it contained a chemical formula, though, that, that's worth a fortune. A formula? Well, if that was a footpad who attacked you, the formula certainly won't mean anything to him. Yes, when he sees what it is, he'll probably tear it up. I hope he does, Miss Burridge. I can remember the formula, of course, but if it fell into the wrong hands... Well, let's hope he tore it up. I, I don't suppose you got a good look at the fellow, did you? Yes, Frank, I did. I, I'm sure I'd recognize him if I saw him again. Well, that's something at least. But you'd never seen him before. Never. I'll bet it was someone who was in the post office and overheard you asking about the letter. Possibly, Bart. He might have thought the registered letter contained money when I said it was valuable. At least I hope that's it. In any event, we'd better report this to the police. No, Frank, let me take care of that. Just drop me off at the dormitory if you don't mind. Well, as you say. But Enzo wouldn't mind driving past police headquarters, would you, Enzo? Of course not. Oh, please. I'd rather handle this my own way. Uh, this is close enough to the dormitory. I'll get off here. Very well. Well, boy. Well. Thanks for everything and... Uh, oh, please, I'd appreciate it if you didn't say anything about this. Uh, perhaps I can explain more to you when I see you tomorrow at Echo Caverns. I wonder what happened to George, Frank. He said he'd meet us here in the cavern. Well, here comes somebody now. He can see the light from around the bend. Oh. Maybe it's George. Hello there. That's you, Frank? That's George, all right. Oh, hi, fellas. Where's the rest of the geology class? Well, they've already started back to New Haven. Oh. We completed the tour of the cavern about a half an hour ago. Oh, by the way, I want you to meet the man who owns these caverns, Farmer Choate. Uh, this is Frank Marowell, and this is Bart Hodge, Mr. Choate. How do you do, sir? Glad to know you. Same here, boys. Hope you've been enjoying my cave. Oh, yes, sir. It's fascinating. Bart and I are particularly interested in these stalactite and stalagmite uh, formations. We're writing a special paper on them. And so? Well, I don't know much about them things myself. Cave's a cave to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can help you out on that, fellas. Stalactite formations are a specialty of mine. That's what we were calling on, George. Have you seen the stalactite and stalagmite that have united into one big column? No, but we'd like to. Where is it? Oh, right over here at the rear of this chamber. Come on, I'll show you. Well, you boys spend the night over to Henderson. That's right, sir. <laughs> Queer duck, that Henderson. Sure makes him powerful envious that most of this cave is under my property. Instead of hisn't. Well, he seems like a nice enough person. Oh, he is, I reckon. Except we've been none too neighborly ever since I put up the door. The door? I'll show it to you in a minute. Well, here we are. There's your column. Gosh, Frank, look at that. A three-foot column from the floor to the ceiling. Oh, it's a beautiful specimen. We ought to make a sketch of it, Bart. But uh, what's this back here? Hold your light a little higher, George. That's the door I told you about. It looks like it's made of iron. It is. Put it up a couple of years ago to separate my part of the cave from Henderson's. He didn't like it none too well either. You mean we're almost under Henderson's property? And that's right, Bart. In fact, the inn itself is almost directly above the cave on the other side of that door. That's why I put it up in the first place. A couple of years back, Henderson used to sell admission to my cave, but I soon put a stop to that. I, uh, I don't suppose we could get a look at the cave on the other side of the door. You have to ask Henderson about that, son. I ain't had this door open since it was put in. 
been locked all that time. Well, maybe we could ask Mr. Henderson about it tonight, Frank. Yes, we'll do that. Well, I'll leave you folks now. I've got a lot of chores to do before supper time. Oh, go right ahead, Mr. Choate. I want to show the boys some more of the cave. Stay as long as you want. Supper won't be ready for more than an hour. <laughs> He's quite a character, isn't he? Nice old fellow in lots of ways. Although, between you and me, I don't blame Henderson for being peeved about that door. Well, still, Choate has a right to keep other people from exploiting his property. Yes, I suppose so. Say, George... I was just looking at the wall of the cave over here near the door. What mineral composition is it, do you know? Why, yes, Bart. It's made up mostly of calcium carbide. The rest of the cave, though, is principally limestone. Oh, but come along. There's still a lot to see. And now, as we get up here nearer the mouth of the cavern again, you have a good opportunity to examine the limestone walls. Now, notice the formation of the strata along here. Oh, wait a second, George. Let me get this down in my notebook. Hello, in the cave. Someone's calling us, Frank. Are Mr. Merriwell and Mr. Hodge in there? Oh, here we are. Who is it? Parsons, Mr. Henderson's handyman. He sent me around with a buggy to bring you back to supper. Oh, that was nice of him. We're coming right out, Parsons. All right, I'll wait. Oh, we can go now, Frank. You and Bart have all the notes you need, haven't you? Oh, sure, George, sure. We have plenty of material, thanks to you. Yes, we really appreciate all the time you gave us. <laughs> oh, think nothing of it, fellas. I enjoyed it myself. Well, here we are. Oh, it's good to be in the fresh air again. Mm. So this must be Parsons waiting for us. Yes, and there's the buggy. Wait a minute. Oh, what's the matter, George? He's the one. Stop! Get out of my way! That's the footpath! After him, boy! Don't let him get in the buggy! Grab the bridle! Uh, boy, get out! I missed him! Come back here! No use, George. We'll never catch him now. I'd like to pay him back for that attack. So that's the footpath. Are you sure you had the right man, George? Why, of course I am. Didn't you see him run when he caught sight of me? There's no doubt about it. Henderson's own handyman, a thief. That's a strange development. It doesn't seem to make any sense. Oh, if we only had a carriage. Well, no use trying to catch him now. Frank, it's time I told you more about what I've been doing. Now, you're convinced this Parsons fellow ran off with that formula of yours? I'm afraid so. You see, Yale University has been financing me while I experiment to find a cheaper way to produce aluminum. Aluminum? Yes, Bart. It's pretty generally agreed that if it could be made more cheaply, it would be an invaluable material, as strong as steel and yet amazingly lighter. So that's what your experiments are all about. Yes, I've been working on electrolyzing a solution made from bauxite. That's why I did so much work up here at the Choate Farm. There's quite a supply of the stuff in the ground here. Well, things are beginning to make a little sense now. I wish I could say the same. Now, what's all this got to do with that man Parsons? Oh, wait, Bart. Let me finish. A man named Hall perfected a similar process over 15 years ago, in 1885 to be exact. Now, Hall has a factory in New York, and I've been working with him on the improved process. I see. Then that registered letter was from this man Hall. Exactly. It contained our final formula. Now, if that's what Parsons was after when he attacked me, we're in trouble. We have no patent as yet on the process, and anyone who obtained the formula at this stage might beat us to it. Well, I can see now how serious this is. It means years of research by you, Hall, and Yale University will all go for nothing. Right. Unless we can catch this fellow Parsons. Well, he'll never show his face around here after this. You can be sure of that. That doesn't mean we can't catch him, Bart. How can we start? By talking to Mr. Henderson. I want to find out as much as I can about Parsons. Oh, uh, one more thing, George. Yes? Uh, have you told anybody about this formula being Not missing? Not a soul. Good. Then don't. It might help if we keep it to ourselves for the time being. Now, let's go to the inn and find Mr. Henderson. Gentlemen, I'm amazed. Are you sure you haven't made a mistake? There's no mistake about it, Mr. Henderson. Parsons ran like a frightened rabbit when he saw me. I can scarcely believe it, Parsons, a common footpad. Why, well, hang it, the man's been working for me nearly a year now, and he came with excellent references. Do you have any idea where he could have gone, sir? Not the slightest. 
But if he turns up here for his things, I'll turn him over to the police. Oh, thanks. That's all we can expect. Oh, incidentally, Mr. Henderson, do you know whether or not Parsons was in New Haven on Friday for any other reason? Yes, as a matter of fact, he was. As you know, I came down to make some arrangements for the summer season down at the inn. Parsons asked to go along to buy some gardening tools he said he needed. So do you think he might have gone back to New Haven? No telling about that part. But I'm leaving on the late train tonight. I'll report it to the police back there. That's the best thing to do, George. Bart and I will stay over until tomorrow as we planned. That is, if it's all right with you, Mr. Henson. Sure, boys. I said I'd put you up, didn't I? Good. Well, we have some more work to do down in the cavern. We've got enough stalactite samples now, Frank. Let's go. Oh, just a second, Bart. Come over here near the iron door. Oh, sure. What's wrong? Do you smell anything? Like chemicals? Yes. Now that you mention it, I do. Smell seems to come from beyond that door. That's what I thought, too. What do you make of it? I don't know. Well, I suppose it could be the dampness affecting the bauxite deposits in the ground here. Possibly. Well, that deposit of calcium carbide George told us about. Oh, it's nothing to worry about anyway. Now, let's go. Don't forget, we have a train to catch. Oh, we have plenty of time. I know, but I'm anxious to get back to New Haven and see if George found out anything about that fellow Parsons. You know, Bart, I've been thinking about that. There's something here that doesn't add up quite. Well, how do you mean? Well, look at it yourself. George was attacked by a man in New Haven who stole a formula from him. The very next day, 25 miles away, he runs into the same man. Now, somehow, that's too neat a coincidence. Yes, I see what you mean. If Davis decided he wanted to share the formula with just himself and not give Mr. Hall or any of them any of the money, yeah. he could have worked his fake robbery with Parsons. Exactly. That's why... Bart, wait. Shine the light over this way again. What, here on the door, you mean? Yes. I want to get a closer look at something. Yes, I thought so. Well, what is it? Look at these hinges. Well, I don't see anything wrong with them. That's just it. The rest of this door is covered with rust, but these hinges are in perfect condition. And didn't Choate tell us this door hadn't been opened in two years? It certainly did. Well, you can see for yourself that it has. This door could stand a little investigation. Yeah. Well, we can't open it. It's locked. But we can get to the other side of it. There must be some sort of passage down here from the end. Then come on. Let's see what's back there. I don't see any sign of Mr. Henderson. Maybe he's in the kitchen. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, no, wait, Frank. Here's a note on the table. Oh, what's it say? That's for us. It says, uh, went over to Choate Farm for a few minutes. We'll return in plenty of time to drive you to the station. Signed, Henderson. Uh, now we can't ask him if it's all right to go down to the cellar. I think we'll go just the same, boy. If there's anything wrong down there, Henderson will want to know about it as much as we do. Yeah, I guess you're right. Let's see, the door to the cellar's over here, isn't it? I think so. Come on. Hey, there's that chemical smell again. Yes, boy. The same smell we noticed down in the cavern. Let's take a look down here. Leave the door open so we'll get a little light. Right. Go ahead. Bart, what happened? I don't know. I didn't slam the door. Maybe it was the wind. Better open it again. It's pitch black down here. It's locked. Locked? That's impossible. Let me try. Bart, what's that? Where are you? I can't see a thing. No. Come on, Bart. Snap out of it. What? What? What happened? Where are we? I just came to myself. Looks like we're in the cave. Where's that light coming from? Someone left a lantern burning over here. The oil's almost gone. I have to work fast if we're ever going to get out of this place. Here, I'll, I'll help you up. 
God, I still feel a little dizzy. Well, what's this door? Well, it must be the way we were brought in here. I imagine it leads into the Henderson basement. And look, someone set a pitcher of water here and a couple of hunks of bread. Well, they must expect to keep us here for quite a while. What's the idea, anyhow? We were slugged because we were about to discover something, Bart. No use trying that door. I've already examined it. Yeah, look at that. Solid oak braced with iron. We could never break it down. I know. How about the other end of the cave here? Bring the lamp. Right. The iron door. Well, we got our wish, Bart. We're on the other side of that door. No, I'm beginning to wish we weren't. Hold the lantern up, Bart. That's it. Look at the lock on it. Yes, I see. Someone sealed up the old lock and put a heavy bolt and padlock on it. It's been used frequently, too. See how shiny the hinges are? Yeah, this is something. We're trapped, Frank. We've got to figure some way out. Well, you couldn't get through that door unless you had an acetylene torch. Say, maybe that's the answer. Acetylene. Oh, cut it out, Frank. This is no time for no, jokes. No, I'm serious. We can make an acetylene torch of a sort and blow that lock but off. You're crazy. We've got nothing to work with. We've got everything we need. Remember this wall here at the side of the door? Sure. I see what you mean. It's made up of calcium carbide. Exactly. And calcium carbide plus water makes acetylene. We made the experiment in chem class just last week, remember? Of course. And we got that pitcher of water back there at the other door. I'll get it. Good. I'll get to work on this wall with my knife. We'll break out of here yet. That's part one of the adventures of Frank Merriwell. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to the adventures of Frank Merriwell. There. We've got a pile of the calcium carbide up against this bottom hinge. Now for the lamp chimney over the pile. Oh, this is crazy, Frank. How are we ever going to get the compression we need? You'll see. It's the same principle as that experiment. We pour the water through the lamp chimney on that pile of chemicals. That creates the gas, right? Yes, but the compression... Besides, how can we get close enough to ignite it? I'll show you. Hand me the water pitcher and keep that tin plate handy. All right. Here you are. Now. The gas is forming. Slap the plate on top of the lamp chimney and get back. Right. This should be far enough. This rock will shield us if anything goes wrong. Now for the bottom half of the lamp with the burning wick. I get it. The gas will be under pressure in the lamp chimney. You're going to hit it with a burning lantern. I don't know if it'll work, but it's our only chance. There should be a big enough explosion to jar that door hinge loose. Well, there must be enough gas in there now. Throw it, Frank, and make it good. Crouch back, Bart. Here it goes! Well, look at that. I think it worked. Let's see. It did. The hinge is loose. Come on, let's push the door up. Both together. Oh. We made it. We're back in Echo Cavern. Now, all we have to do is work our way up to the mouth of the cave and we're free. Right. Oh, that was a bad feeling being trapped that way. I wish we had a light. It's pitch black in here. Yes, I hey. know. Hey, look up ahead. What's that light? I don't know. Wait a minute, Barney. Stop. Someone coming. I know you're down here. Put your hands up and come along peacefully. I'll fill you full of a shot. Here he comes around the turn. Here we are, Mr. Charles. All right, now, just get those hands up and come along. Well, I'll be jiggered. You fellas again. I thought you'd gone back to college. Uh, if you don't mind, Mr. Chilt, point that gun some other way. Huh? Oh, oh, sure, sorry. <laughs> That's better. How'd you get back down here? 
I was up the mouth of the cave ever since you came out this afternoon. We came in the other way. Through the iron door? Well, I'll be dead blamed. How'd you ever manage that? It's a long story, sir. We haven't time to tell it now. We've got to catch ourselves a crook, and you can help us. A crook? Who? And where? Never mind that. Just come along with us. And better bring that shotgun with you. We're going to need it. Hurry up, Parsons. Finish packing that stuff. We've got to get out of here. I'm ready now. we got a lot of time. Those two college kids will never get out of that cave. That's a lucky thing. I spotted them when I did. They were headed right for the basement, caught us red-handed. Well, it doesn't make any difference now. The buggy all hitched up, Henderson. Ready and waiting. Now, come on. Oh, well, holy smoke. What's the matter? Look out this window toward the choke place. What do you... Hey, those two kids, they uh, got out of the cave. And they're headed this way. Coach with him, and he's got a shotgun. Come on, Henderson, maybe we can make it out the back way. No, hold it. We can't get to the buggy without being seen, Parsons. There's only one way out of this. Your gun? You gonna shoot it out with him? No, it's three against two, stupid. Parsons, listen to me. All anyone has to you against you is a charge of assault and battery. He can't even prove you stole the formula. What are you getting at? I've got to be free to go to Canada with the formula. Otherwise, we lose a fortune. Parsons, I'm going to pretend I caught you and took you prisoner. No, no, you don't. You think you can get away Easy, with it? Easy, Parsons. I'm not double-crossing you. It's the only way, I tell you. You got a small fine and maybe a week in jail. Isn't that worth the money we'll make on the formula? That's the same. It's I don't... the only way. And they're almost at the door. Get your hands up like I just caught you. Come on, hurry. All right, but I don't like it. Henderson! Oh, Frank, look. He's Captain Parsons. Thank goodness you people showed up in time. We've got to get this man to the police. Better tie him up so as he can't make a break for us. Well, here's a piece of rope. I'll tie him. I'll keep him covered while you do. How did you get him, Mr. Henderson? Well, I was over at the farm looking for Mr. Choate. I couldn't find him. It was getting close to your train time, so I hurried back here. As I came in the door, I saw Parsons coming up out of the basement. For sure. He just slugged us and thrown us down there. Come on, you. Get those hands together. He pulled a gun on me, but I jumped him and got it away. He put up a fight, but I got the gun on him as he came in the door. That was sure good work, Henderson. You were right, Merwell, about him being the man who slugged your friend Davis. You have some proof of that, sir? This wallet I took away from him. It has George Davis's name on it. Only I'm sorry to say there's no trace of that missing formula. I see. Well, he's tied up good and tight now. Put your gun away now, Mr. Henderson. He won't give us any more trouble. Good. You can take him to the police station in my buggy if you like. I have some things to do here. All right, Mr. Henderson. But first, I'll take that gun now. Get your hands off him. Grab his arms, Frank. What's the idea, grabbing Henderson? The idea is our friend Mr. Henderson is as guilty as Parsons. Let me go. What do you mean? You might as well quit acting, Henderson. I was sure that stealing of the formula was the work of more than one man. And you were so sure of yourself, you gave yourself away to us. Gave myself away? What are you talking about? See, here, Not two minutes ago, you said a formula had been stolen from George Davis. I happen to know that Davis reported only the theft of his wallet. So you couldn't have known about the formula unless you helped steal it. Well, I'll be... I never liked you, Henderson, but I didn't dream you were a low-down crook to boot. Well, he is, Mr. Choate, and he's going to pay for it. Come on, let's take them both to where they belong. Jail. My goodness, Frank, that was an exciting time of it at Echo Cavern. A little too exciting, Enzo. Well, you fellows really did me a great service catching up with that crook, Henderson. But how in the world did he know about my formula? Well, he'd been spying on your experiments for months, George. For several years, according to his confession, Henderson had been trying a similar experiment with bauxite. Now, when you first came up to Choate's farm, he quickly learned the purpose of your visit and began watching you. And then when he finally learned the formula had been perfected and tested, he decided to steal it. Right. He and Parsons went to New Haven, waited for your letter to come, and stole it from you. 
They had arranged to sell it to a firm in Canada for $100,000. $100,000? Goodness, is it that valuable? More valuable than that, Miss Burridge. But, Frank, what about the iron door? What was the real reason for that? Well, just what the farmer Choate told us, Enza. About two years ago, Henderson began stealing supplies of bauxite for his experiments from Choate's cave. Well, Choate, understandably, got annoyed by Henderson's trespassing and had the iron door put in to stop him, even though he never knew what Henderson was really up to. When you stop to think of it, the iron door proved to be Henderson's undoing. Yes, Enza. And don't forget that field trip of ours very nearly proved to be our undoing. And to think at the beginning of the semester, I thought geology was going to be a dull subject. And so ends another exciting adventure with Frank Merriwell, beloved hero of American fiction, brought to you in a new series of stories by the National Broadcasting Company. And be sure to listen again next week at the same time when Frank Merriwell returns in another of his celebrated exploits. Frank is played by Lawson Zerby, Bart is Hal Studer, and Inza is Elaine Rust. Other members of the cast were Frank Thomas, Bill Sterling, Scott Tennyson, and Gene Leonard. Original music was by Paul Taupin. The Adventures of Frank Merriwell is written by Ruth and Gilbert Braun and William Welch. And the entire production is under the direction of Harry Junkin. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And that's The Adventures of Frank Merriwell from May 22, 1948, with a mystery of the Iron Door starring Lawson Zerby, with Harlow Wilcox doing the announcing on that, is heard on NBC. Well, before we tune into the Jack Benny program, I do want to remind all of our listeners about Remind Magazine. And I have the latest copy of Remind Magazine in my hands. And look who's on the cover of that. You know who that is, Mike? That's John Wayne. Look how oh, young he is okay. there. John Wayne, and you know who that is, right? Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, now this is a salute to our troops. There's all kinds of stuff about the USO. There's articles about John Wayne, Jane Mansfield, Marlena Dietrich, and Margaret, Marilyn Monroe, Raquel Welch, Bob Hope, many, many more. And uh, there's all kinds of posters, games, crossword puzzles. And, of course, I wrote my article. I write an article every single issue of Remind Magazine. This time I wrote about Command Performance. Command Performance was a really fun radio series that was broadcast to our troops overseas. It was actually not heard in the United States. It was it was actually produced for our men and women fighting overseas and it had very all cool. the big yeah, all the big stars on it and a very interesting radio series. So hopefully you'll have a chance to pick up Remind Magazine and read my article. We also have our full schedule right next to our article and it's uh, it's a really great magazine. If you like nostalgia and movies, classic movies and TV and trivia, games, comics, if you like all of that like I do and like Mike does and Lisa, you're really going to like Remind Magazine. It's a good, fun magazine, it I must really say. It really is. Full color. It's like uh, 60 pages long. And you can pick it up at any Barnes & Noble store or any Walmart store. But... The best way to get Remind Magazine is at their website. Just go to RemindMagazine.com. You save quite a bit off the newsstand price by uh, going to the website, RemindMagazine.com. All right, it is time now for the Jack Benny program, one of the most uh, beloved radio series of all time, one of the funniest personalities in the golden age of radio and television, Jack Benny. He had his radio show for so many years. 
We have a broadcast for you now from February 5th, 1950. He is staying at the Acme Plaza in New York City. Fun show, part one of the Jack Benny program. The Jack Benny program. The program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we're broadcasting from New York City for the opening of the 1950 Heart Campaign. So without further ado, I bring you the man who is here to help launch the campaign, Jack Benny! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking, and ladies and gentlemen, as Don said, we are here to help raise money for the 1950 Heart Campaign. It's a very worthy charity. And everyone should donate as much as possible. Well, Jack, do you think everyone will make a donation? Don, if I'm giving, how can anyone refuse? <laughs> but tell me, Don, have you been doing anything exciting since we've been here? Oh, I certainly have, Jack. I've seen several shows and I've been to some nightclubs, but early Wednesday morning I got the biggest thrill of all. The government invited me to come to Norfolk, Virginia. Really? Why? Well, I don't know, but when I got there, they took off my clothes, pushed me in the ocean, the tide went up, and the mighty mole floated away. <laughs> well, I, I knew, Don, I knew, I knew you could do it. Okay, I... Dad, let's get the show rolling. William Harris is here. Come on, come on, let's get this clam bake off the ground. Hiya, Jackson. Well, if it isn't dear hearts and drunken people. <laughs> Hello, Phil. Hey, Jackson, this is really a great town, ain't it? Nothing like old New York. You said it, Phil. Are you having fun? Yes, sir. The first night in town, Remley and I spent the evening at the Museum of Natural History. <laughs> Phil, the museum and of... the next night, we went to Carnegie Hall. Thursday night, Grant's Tomb. Friday night, the Planetarium. And last night, we conducted on a tour through the Botanical Garden. Phil, do you mean that you and Remley have been spending your evenings in such places as Carnegie Hall, the Museum of Natural History, and the Botanical Gardens? No, but Alice might be listening in, and I want to get out again tonight. <laughs> oh. Oh, I see. Say, Jackson, you well, know the night I said that Frankie and I went to Grant's tomb? Yeah. We were stiffer than he was. <laughs> well, Phil... Phil, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You only get to New York once in a while. You ought to go to some shows and take Alice with you. Well, I've been trying to get Alice out of the hotel, but we can't get a sitter. A sitter? Yeah, with what's happening around town, somebody's got to stay home with the jewelry. <laughs> You're darn right. I got a man at home watching my cufflinks now. You know. Oh, say, Phil. Oh, hiya, Don Phil, I don't recognize any of the musicians you have here. This isn't your regular band, is no, it? No, no, Don. You see, I left my boys in Los Angeles. These are some of the musicians I picked up. No, oh, I see. They sound pretty good, Phil. Well, they ought to. I got the brass section from Guy Lombardo, the rhythm section from Jimmy Dorsey, and the harp is sitting up there. I got her from uh, Phil Spitalny. Spitalny? Well, that certainly should add a lot of... Wait a minute, Phil. Phil, there, there's no harpist here. What? Well, what are you... All right, fellas, where is she? Where is she? <laughs> Phil, don't yell so loud. People will think that... Hello, you're... fellas. Hi, Jack. Oh, oh hello, Mary. Mary. Hello. Well, 
Did you hear that applause, Mary? Everybody's glad to see you. Oh, yes, Jack. It makes me feel just wonderful. Say, Mary, I haven't seen you since uh, you got in town. You've been having fun? Oh, yes, Don. I've been to a lot of shows. I, uh, Lost in the Stars, The Enchanted, The Happy Time, and I went to some nightclubs, too. Oh, which ones, Mary? Well, I went to Leon and Eddie's, The Stark Club, The Versailles, El Morocco, and last night, Jack took me to Cronkite Rendezvous. <laughs> Yeah. The Cronkite Rendezvous? I never heard of it. Well, that's understandable, Don. You see, the Cronkite Rendezvous is not right in the center of Manhattan. See, this club is a little downtown. A little downtown? It's under the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> Mary. On the Brooklyn side yet. Oh, brother, what a joint. What do you mean, joint? It's the only nightclub I ever saw where you enter through a turnstile. <laughs> All right, all right. Jack, I can't figure you out. You come to New York once a year and you go to the crummiest club, stay at the worst hotels, no, eat at Wait the... a minute, Mary, just one minute. I won't argue about the Cronkite Rendezvous anymore. But I resent your insinuation that the Acme Plaza is not a good hotel. <laughs> oh, Jack, how can you stay at a hotel that caters to such awful people? Awful? What's wrong with the people at the Acme Plaza? The water shortage was on for six weeks before anybody there found out about it. <laughs> Look, Mary, it just so happens that I like to... Now, who can that be? Come in. Jack, look, it's Mel Blank. Oh, yes, the poor man's Al Jolson. Ah. <laughs> Okay, Mel, you can go now. Go? Yes, you came in, you did your bitch, you got your laugh, now go. But back in Hollywood, you said if I came to New York, you'd give me a big part in your program. I'm sorry, we haven't got time for it now. But I sold my furniture and hocked my watch to raise the money to come here. Mel. I bought a train ticket, I said goodbye to my wife and kids, traveled 3,000 miles, and for what? Just to say, ah. Mel, you better go. I won't go. Back in California, all my friends are sitting by the radio waiting to hear me on your program, and all I get to say is, ah. Well, I won't go, do you hear? I won't. I won't. I won't. But, Mel, I don't need an imitation of Jolson. Ah. Mel. You can't do this to me. Not after all I've done for you. I even went to the trouble to get your due bill at the Cronkite Rendezvous. Mel, go already. Just a second, Jack. Huh? Did you have the nerve to get a due bill to that awful nightclub? Mary, believe me, there's nothing wrong with that club. The atmosphere is nice and the food there is wholesome. Mm -hmm. I said wholesome! <laughs> I don't know why it is. I come to New York only once a year. I try to do a classy show. Look what happens. Well, Jack, if you're trying to do such a classy show, why are you wearing that old gray suit that isn't even pressed? I'll tell you why. Because I haven't seen my new brown suit or Rochester since I got off the train. Jack, you mean Rochester is wearing your brown suit? Don, all I know is that Rochester and my brown suit disappeared at the same time. And I haven't seen either one since we got off the train. I'm so mad. Hello, that Mr. I... Benny. Huh? Oh, hello, Dennis. I'm so mad that for two pins... I'd like to talk to you, Mr. Benny. Later, kid. I'm so mad that for two pins... Oh, I... Jack, calm down. I won't calm down. I'll bring Rochester all the way to New York to take care of my personal things so I can be free to do a show, and look what happens. Can I talk to you now, Mr. Benny? I have to unpack my clothes, iron my own shirt, shine my own shoes. And on top of that, my new brown suit is missing. Can I talk to you now, Mr. Benny? All right, all right. What is it, Dennis? I want to raise... <laughs> Yeah. 
Well, that does it. Dennis, why did you wait till we got to New York to ask me for a raise? Because last night I took a walk in the park and there's ice on the statue of Nathan Hale. <laughs> there's ice on the statue of Nathan Hale? What's that got to do with it? My mother said you give me a raise when Hale freezes over. <laughs> And that's the first portion of the Jack Benny program from February 5th, 1950. Jack Benny and all his gang. And we'll have uh, part two in our next show. But first, these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Sarah Knight-Adamson. I'm the national film critic for the website sarahsbackstagepass.com. I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association in L.A. and a voting member of the Critics' Choice Film Awards. Coming up next, you'll hear a film review of a movie that's playing near you. Can you ever forgive me? It's rated R. It's a drama and comedy. Melissa McCarthy stars in the true story of New York's best-selling author, Lee Ezreal. In the 80s and 90s, Israel made her living writing celebrity biographies. By the 90s, she couldn't get published. With a sick cat and months behind in her rent, she used her writing talents to forge fake celebrity letters. She sold over 400 of them before she was arrested. Israel's cohort in crime is a fun-loving homeless guy named Jack, who is played amazingly by Richard E. Grant. Let's take a listen. Quite by accident, I find myself in a rather criminal position. What criminal activity could possibly involve it except a crime of fashion, of course? I'm embellishing literary letters by prominent writers. I love his writing. Particularly clever, don't you think? Caustic wit. <gasps> the director is Marilee Heller. Here's another clip. You're stealing from me? Come on. Get out of my house! That's just supposed to be something more than this. We're probably looking at some time behind bars. What? I can't say that I regret any of my actions. In many ways, this has been the best time of my life. The bottom line, I'm all in. Four stars out of four. Melissa McCarthy is the reason to see this film. Her performance is Oscar-worthy. She's captivating in the role. She can turn on a dime between humor and drama. It's one of the top ten movies of 2018. Check out my written review on sarahsbackstagepass.com. See you next week. Do you love classic radio shows? The Jack Benny Program. X-1. Suspense. Now you can receive 10 classic radio shows on five CDs every month by joining the Classic Radio Club. Hi, I'm Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club so fans can receive the best of the best from my library each and every month. Join now and receive your first 10 classic radio shows on five CDs, a $39.95 value for only $4.99. Then every month, I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows and mail them to you on five CDs. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com to join and receive your first 10 classic radio shows on five CDs for only $4.99. That's ClassicRadioClub.com or call toll-free 888-642-6556. That's 888-642-6556. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Well, next time, it's the conclusion to the Jack Benny program from 1950. Then, we'll go back to 1941 and tune into The Shadow, starring William Johnstone. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.